The views and opinions of today's broadcast is not necessarily the views or opinions of the TJRS Radio Network. Thank you for being a loyal listener and enjoy the show. Online radio at its best. You are listening to the TJRS Radio Network. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I'll rise. Good morning, and welcome to the serious side of the Jay Ryle Show, the show where we discuss politics, social issues affecting people of color, and every now and then a little comedy as well. Now here's your host, Jay Ryle. Thank you so much for the introduction, and good morning, and welcome to the serious side. Today is June 13th, 2021, and as we come on the air this morning, I come on the air with a heavy heart. A dear friend of mine, a woman who I consider my inspirational rock, passed away earlier this week after a long bout with cancer. Her name was Sister Christine East. She was my soul. She was my rock. She was my inspiration. People who know me personally know that the last three years have been tough for me. And there were some dark days. But it seems every time I felt I couldn't go on, I would receive inspiration from this woman. So I dedicate today's show to you, Sister Christine. May you rest in power my queen until we see each other again. We'll be right back after this.
Today is June 13, 2021. Here are the topics that will be discussed today on the serious side. Today, the Texas Workforce Commission announced it is ending job refusal guidance. That means that if you refuse work because of COVID safety concerns, you can't get unemployment benefits. Both federal and state law require people who are receiving unemployment benefits to be actively looking for work and to take a suitable job offer or lose benefits. Texas, by the way, is ending its $300 a week federal unemployment benefit on June 26. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. There are legal methods by which migration can and should occur. But we, as one of our priorities, will discourage illegal migration. Report on President Trump's Justice Department. 
Revelations that it was targeting at least two Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee, seizing their records from Apple in its hunt for leaks. A witness recorded this video, which appears to show four Glendale police officers, three in plain clothes, repeatedly punching a 17-year-old suspected shoplifter in the face. One officer kicks the teen in the head as he lies on the floor of the store inside the Glendale Galleria. Good morning and welcome back into the serious side of the J. Rouse Show, which happens every Sunday morning right here on the TJRS Radio Network, online radio. And it's best. I'm Jay Rao. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And as always, I never share the stage by myself. Let me introduce you to my colleagues. Uh, my dear sister, Vanessa Maybell, is here. Uh, Johnny D., the smooth voice from the Carolinas, is also here this morning. And the one and only Mr. L to the E to the S is here this morning. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Vanessa. How are you doing? Good morning, Jay. And I am so sorry that your heart is hurting. You are very dear to me, and when you hurt, my heart hurts. So I am really, really sorry to hear about that. Thank you so much, Vanessa. I appreciate those words. Tony D, man, good morning. How are you? Brother, my heart is heavy. Uh, um, certainly my condolences and prayers go out to you and Sister Christine and her family and you know it's one of those scenarios where sometimes you all tied up doing nothing and you know being being a person that I have loved and cared for for 30 some years uh, it pains me that um, that I missed the opportunity to, to speak with you early in the week and um, and just did, did not know about those those trials and and turmoil. So, you know, again, apologies. Um, like I say, uh, just apologies, but uh, certainly prayers. Uh, the song was uh, uplifting and, and appropriate. And, and like I say, uh, Jay, just love you, man. And we'll, we'll certainly talk uh, after after the uh, the commentary. But um, like I say, just like I say, prayers for you, brother. Prayers for you. I appreciate that, man. You have to apologize, Johnny. You know how I feel about you. I appreciate the comments. Mr. Elliott, good morning, sir. How are you? Well, good morning to you, sir. And I do, you know, you have my heartfelt condolences, man, because I know how this Christine has been there for you in many times of trouble and many times of uh, night of prayer. So, man, you have my, definitely have my condolences this morning, man. You know, I know how it is to lose a special, special somebody to you, man. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. The number is 347 It's a serious side. Glad you guys are here this morning. We have a lot to talk about. So uh, without any uh, further ado, let's uh, get into this morning's show. Let me read it to you, and we'll talk about it after this. 
in an effort to uh, connect unemployed people with work instead of unemployment assistance, uh, Governor Greg Abbott said on Monday that Texas will opt out of all federal unemployment assistance programs after June 26, including the extra $300 per week federal benefit Congress approved earlier this year. Abbott also is planning to withdraw from pandemic unemployment assistance, which provides aid to gig workers, self-employed people, and others who aren't traditionally covered by unemployment insurance. June 26 cuts off for Texans. The June 26 cutoff for Texans comes much earlier than the many expected than what Congress authorized to extend the programs until early to late September. So Texas has decided to opt out of this. Uh, they've also decided to remove the pandemic uh, uh, assistance for people who are uh, in that category of gig workers. And so this is a conversation that started last week, and uh, I've received a lot of comments about it. And so we want to go ahead and talk about it this morning uh, because obviously we all have different views on this. And, Mr. Elias, with all due respect, because this conversation did initiate with Vanessa last week. I'd like to start the conversation there, if you don't mind. Vanessa, uh, you, know, you, voiced your, you voiced your displeasure with uh, the fact that Texans were receiving an extra $300 uh, a week for unemployment benefits, and you talked about some of the things that you had encountered uh, during this time uh, as far as waiting in long lines to be served. You mentioned uh, you know, going through self-checkout, uh, so I want to pick up the conversation where we left it off last week. Now, you mentioned that you were not in favor of the extended benefit, or should I say you are happy that the benefit is coming to an end on June 26th. So let's go ahead and pick up. Why don't you tell people or remind people your views on this uh, for those who may not have been here last week? Well, I don't have a problem Day. I want people to misunderstand. I understand okay. with COVID, people could not work because businesses were closed. Mm-hmm. So for them to get the three uh, three hundred extra dollars was very much so needed then to get the extra okay. food stamps because all the children were in the house was needed then. But in Texas, Texas, if y'all don't know it, is one of the places that you can live. For about $60,000 a year and have a decent life. I didn't say a rich life. I said a decent life. And you can. And, and it's not poverty level. I mean, our housing is pretty reasonable in Texas. Our meat and groceries is not as if you were paying for it in Florida or in California. Texas, everybody migrates from California to Texas. Because it's so much cheaper to live here. So I'm not saying that they didn't need it then. But I am glad that Abbott is cutting it the extra $300 off now because they were making more money receiving the $300 than they a week than they were going to work. Everywhere you see in Houston where you go, there's a sign that says, now hiring, even at machine shops that pay $16, $17 an hour, which is decent money for Texas. I'm not talking about California, Ireland, North Carolina. I'm talking about Texas. And I have been here my entire life, 50, almost 59 years. So I'm glad 
that Abbott is cutting it off. You, there's no wait staff. There's no people at the grocery stores. Everything is self-checked. The lines are long. You go to restaurants. You try to order some food to go or whatever. The lines are long. Even if you're in the department stores, there's nobody in there. I mean, I'm not talking about just even lower jobs. I'm talking about when you try to call the doctor's office or Kelsey Sebo's main system line to get an appointment. They're understaffed. They are giving bonus money in Texas for people to come back to work. And as long as they're dishing out an additional $300 a week, which is $1,200 a month, so $1,200 a month in Texas, baby, can pay your rent. So, and yet, this extra $1,000 per child, per child, some people got four and five children, plus they still get their normal amount of food stamps. So, yes, and I got another call since I talked to you guys on Sunday saying, do you know anybody who want to buy any food stamps? Because they have got this overabundance amount of stamps. And maybe Joe Biden knew that he was doing that, that it was going to, the money was, people was going to sell the food stamps. I'm sure somebody told him that they were going to sell the food stamps, and maybe he feels like that money will go back into the economy. Somebody brought that to my attention. Maybe he thinks that money's going to go back into the economy, and it is, because I know people who sponsored graduation parties with the money that they received from selling food stamps, and that's fine if that's, you know, what they wanted to do with theirs. So I'm here in Texas, and, and I am educated. I am degreed. And everybody in my family is all, we're retired and we have good jobs and we have union jobs. So when people call in and say, I don't know what I'm talking about, yeah, I do. Y'all don't know me. I was a social worker for the state of Texas for a long time. I should have retired there, but I didn't. And, and so I just got, I, I quit because I got tired of people getting services unnecessarily and cheating to get them. And then the elderly people couldn't get nothing because they had a savings account. So I, and I'm here, I'm here, Jay, and I see signs everywhere. Bobby always points them out. They hired Vanessa. They hired, there are billboards over here in Sugarland, which is a pretty decent area in Houston. There's billboards over here with big old signs that say we're hiring, bonuses, please call. So I don't, I don't know. If people are offended, let me apologize to you. But for Texas, it's time. It is time. Okay. For people to right. go back to work. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get some commentary from others. All right, Ms. Delias, uh, she stated her case. Uh, what say you? Well, you know, one thing about you know about me is that I believe in a fair wage, and usually these jobs that Vanessa is talking about, even with the machine shops, they're not going to hire people that are not skilled, and they're not going to bring them in and train them. Why? We got the same problem at my job. And I, I got a, I got a, I got a decent job, I, you know, and we can't find people to fulfill a position because they're not qualified to. So when you talk about going into a machine shop, you got to find a qualified machinist, right? So are they gonna bring these people in and train them? Nope, because our company won't bring them in and train them because they're looking for qualified people. Now, isn't it, a, isn't, it, isn't it a shame that we want to send people back to work? and make $7.25 an hour when they can make more yep. staying at home. That's a, that is a yep. shame that you, that you will not raise the minimum wage from $7.25 an hour to where if it's kept up with inflation, 
would be over $21.50 an hour. And these people are asking for $15 an hour minimum wage, and they won't even do that. And on top of that, the billionaires the the and the millionaires have got us just where they want us because we're arguing over pennies while they're taking the dollars. These, these son of a bitches will not pay one thin dime in taxes. If they paid their fair share in taxes, you wouldn't have to worry about roads, bridges, or nothing. You got Elon Musk. You got Jeff Bezos. You got Donald Trump, people like that who get millions and millions of dollars in tax returns every year. Every year, they don't pay nothing into the system. But what do we do? We argue about the people getting welfare. But we're talking that's about the taxes, though, Les. You talking, talking about, about what now? United. Yeah, we're talking about Texas, though. We're not talking about all over. Okay. I don't we're care. Where's Elon Musk? Go ahead, Michelle. Let's finish where, where Elon Musk is moving. Yeah. Elon Musk is moving to Texas. Walmart, Walmart, the people that own Walmart, these people don't pay. They, before this pandemic, they were not even paying a fair enough wages, and they people had to depend on welfare. So these people were going to work and getting welfare. So... You know, when you talk about uh, these lazy people don't want to go back to work, pay people a fair wage. Pay people a fair wage, and then see if people don't go back to work. If, if, if you want people to go back to work, pay them that $300 that you was giving them and, and, and subsidies on a job and see if they don't go back to work. Because if I can make more I didn't money call them lazy. going to work or going at home, I, I'm going back to work. But okay. if, I, if I can let, make let me, more money at home, I'm going to stay at home. That's where it works. Let me throw some. Let me throw some figures out there before I get Johnny's response because I definitely have something to say about this as well. You, you talked about $16 an hour. $16 an hour comes out to $30,000 a year. The extra $300 that they're receiving for unemployment benefits assistance, that equates to $7.50 an hour. So there you go. Uh, Johnny D, man, what are your, uh, what's your comments on this topic? Well, you know, I, I, I voiced some, some last week in regards to um, – my take on this here, I think that you that it's incumbent that that you pay people livable wages. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, the state of uh, North Carolina uh, raised up state employees uh, to where they were making at least uh, fifteen dollars per hour, and that equated to thirty-one thousand dollars a year. So that's not a livable wage. Uh, so. I, I, I do certainly see uh, Ms. Vanessa's point where you have some people that's exploiting the system, but people have been exploiting the system for a long period of time, as she indicated, um, coming out of the social services field. You know, I, I think I think the more polarizing component of this here is that the states that's looking at uh, cutting the benefits, the 25 states that's looking at cutting the benefits by July the 1st are all led by Republican uh, governors. Now, I say that to say this here, you know, oftentimes, you know, we get into this, this blue-red Republican-Democrat. I've, I've stated before, I have voted for Republican governors, but the Republican Party that you see today is not the Republican Party that the ideals of, you know, smaller government, uh, tax relief, for the rich, I mean, you know, some of the principles that 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 they have, I don't necessarily agree with them. But right now, what 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 you have is you just have a a, a bunch of persons who just locking arms and saying that you know what, this is all about the election. That's what this is about. So 
for, for one to sit there in Mississippi and, and, and Alabama and states where you have, you know, just deplorable living conditions in regards to the wealth gap between those who have and those who don't, and to sit back and say that, okay, I'm going to send you to a $7 an hour job now, and this is what I want you to do, is, is shameful, but it's not as if they care. So they're being very uh, discriminant in regards to they, they're targeting the poor. You understand what I'm saying? So this ain't this, it really doesn't equate to black, white, or, or, or minorities. It equates to the poor. And the last time I I, I went downtown and, and walked around, I saw all demographics who was just simply struggling. So it is that commonality that you've got a base of people who are looking at it from a political standpoint, who are saying, you know what, how do we take back the Senate? How do we take back the House? in 2022 and then eventually the presidency. So they are locking arms in unison. So I think that's the biggest problem right there. Uh, certainly at some point you want people to go back to work and, you know, I, I, I'm suffering uh, from an employee base where even the ones who there don't want to work. So, you know, you, you got sorry everywhere in some instances. But but the reality of it is is that how do you tell a person to go back to work when, you know, they're, they're making more and, and finally being able to pay health care and, and child care. And they don't see this as, as, you know, extra added money. What they see it is, okay, finally I can survive, you know. And for those individuals that's out there talking about, uh, you know, I can't go back to work because of health, you know, child care and some of the rest of it. If you had said this same argument last year, I would have been the first person to say, you know what, shut it down, don't go back. But if you opt out of the vaccine and, and people in your area don't take the vaccine, then shame on shame on the system, shame on the state, because that's where the emphasis really need to be going to. So for those who are sitting back with these mysterious voodoos like, you know, that the vaccine is going to cause this right here or being skeptical, you know, the, the data is certainly supporting that getting vaccination, you know, vaccinated is helping out. So I don't think that you, you you have the excuses not to go back to work like you did this time last year. This time last year, with the unknown and there being no actually mitigation, then a hey, stay at home because that was the safest thing to do. But now, if you're staying home talking about health risk and things like that, and you haven't been vaccinated, then shame on you. Right. And that's one of the things that Texas is saying is that uh, you can't turn jobs down because of uh, pandemics. Let me let me say this, and I think that this is important uh, for us to look at it. We always use the term on this show, uh, playing chestnut checkers. And, and, and a lot of times what people don't understand is, is that when some of the decisions are made at a higher level, you have to look at – the reasons and the basis for it, okay? You know, we talked about the other day, you know, Vanessa, last week you thanked me for highlighting uh, what's going on with black farmers. And, you know, if you remember last week's story, it talked about how the government is going to forgive all the debt of black farmers because of the hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm not sure who that is. I'm not sure who's trying to call who, but please mute your mic. Um, who is this? Let me see if I can figure out. That's you. That's not me. It's Mr. LES. All right, Mr. LES, I'm sure he's trying to call somebody. Maybe he's trying to get somebody on the line. All right, I'm going to mute him for a second until he gets that squared away. All right, so listen. 
So we talk about, you know, we talked about them forgiving all the debt because of hundreds of years of discriminatory lending practices. You know, one of the things you have to understand is, is this, first of all, it's seven dollars and fifty dollars. It's seven dollars and fifty cents an hour, with the extended benefit. That's it. So think about that. If we're saying that you're paying too much people too much money to stay at home to get the extra three hundred dollar benefit, all right? I mean that's ludicrous when we think about it. That someone is going to opt not to work to get seven dollars and fifty cents an hour. That's one thing. Think about this. You know, you talked about the child credit. The child credits are things – let's go back for a second. We just observed 100 years of what happened in Tulsa, right? We talked about how people from Tulsa, their descendants are saying, my goodness, think about what could have happened, right, if they had not torn down Tulsa. You know, Mr. Elias and I got into a huge uh, disagreement a few years back. We talked about being rich in generational wealth. Okay, generational wealth is wealth that's going to last a lifetime. Look at Antoine Walker, who played for the Celtics. That guy made, I don't know, over $100,000, $100 million during his career. He's broke today. You know why? Because he just had a lot of money. He didn't, he didn't have generational wealth. Think about it from this perspective. Let's say that when Ford, the Ford company created the Model T, and all of a sudden a bunch of black folks went down there and tore that organization down. Do you think Harry, you know, Henry T. Ford's Descendants would be reaping the benefits of his hard work hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of years ago. So what the government is trying to do, in my opinion, is, look, the reason why we have black people who have been broke, whole, and whatever the case may be, because we have been working for this country for years, and the things that we owned back in the day were taken away from us. You hear the term 40 acres and a mule. Think that come from. We built America, and our descendants didn't get a dime for that. Yeah, you got some black folks who have some success, but for the most part, we're talking generational wealth. So we can sit here and say that people don't want to do what they have to do. We can sit here and say that, oh, well, people are lazy or whatever the case may be. And you didn't say they were lazy. I want to make sure that you, you didn't say that. But, but, what I, but, I want, but, I, but what I want you to do is I want you to look at beyond what you're seeing on the headlines. Stop looking at what's at the surface and dig deeper. Black folks are poor and broke because of the fact of suppression all through the years. It's like playing, It's like being invited to play a Monopoly game without having any property. You can get past go a few times, but at some point in time, you're going to hit boardwalk. And guess what? You don't have enough money to sustain you. So I think what the federal government is trying to do, like they did with the Indians, you know, they came and stole America from the Indians. Now the Indians have these territories and things of that nature. They're trying to make this right. So, yeah, there are a few bad apples that, there are going to be people who are going to take advantage of the system no matter what you have in place. You talked about self-checkout. Self-checkout, uh, that's, that was in place before the pandemic. You know, companies are trying to find a way to make more money, reduce staff and make more money and be more efficient. So now you have self-checkout. You have one person manning five or six different registers. Now you don't have six people you have to pay to manage those registers. Or you can reallocate those resources to go do something else. So that's just like anything else. As as technology advances, you're going to find smarter ways to work. That's why email is out and, you know, and the, the postal system is, is struggling because of the fact that, hey, now people can send emails. So you're going to always have technology taking jobs away. So the pandemic is not the reason why companies are going to self-checkout. But I just want well, to think about this. That, yes. I would say that Target 
like over here in Maryland, Target in Houston has went to $15 an hour, and ATB has went to right at $15 an hour. So there are some places, some grocery stores and kind right. of stuff where they are. Um, you have reached the maximum time permitted for recording your message. If you are satisfied with your message, okay. press uh, 1 right. to listen to your I'm message, doing, press 2 sure to erase and so there are some places sure in Houston. Sure. There are some places in Houston that are up in the ante because they do realize that that is part of the problem. So I I salute Target and HEB has always paid well, right. and Kroger's grocery store. There's some places that are like grocery stores and stuff. They have always paid well, but now they up the ante, and I salute them to up the ante to right. fifteen dollars an hour. Right. So anyway. so, so I, I so I think in closing. You know, once again, like I said before, you're going to have bad apples. There are people out there who will take advantage of the system. It doesn't matter. That's why you have police. That's why you have jails. You're not going to stop that. But when you look at, you know, I was reading a story the other day about how by, because of the fact that Greg Abbott is taking those $300 away, there are people who are not going to be able to afford their insulin medication because they're out of work looking for jobs. They can't find a job. And that extra $300, even though it's really not a whole lot of money, but it helps them to sustain and survive. By taking that away, you're going to hurt a lot of good people to try to curtail the few bad folks out there who are going to gain the system regardless. People have been selling food stamps when the economy was good, when the unemployment was at record lows. Folks do that. I remember when Katrina happened, the Red Cross handed out those MasterCards. You have folks going out there buying Gucci bags and stuff. So folks are going to always game the system. We have to look at it. Once again, we have to play chestnut checkers. We have to look at it from an overall perspective. We have to look at the fact that this country has held our people down. The, like I said, the descendants of Tulsa, they're saying, think about what, where we could be financially had they not tore down. They had banks, they had businesses, and white folks came and tore all that stuff down. So now these people are saying, what, you know, what? We could have been, you know, the, you know, the Model T, the Ford company. We could have been some of these generate. We could have been Walmart. These kids who are benefiting from Walmart, these folks didn't have a damn thing to do with. They were born into that family. But think about if a group of blacks went and tore down the first Walmart, where would that family be today? So I think we have to look at it from that perspective. We can't look at it from what it is now. We have to look at it. We have to do deep thinking when we start talking about what's happening and giving people an extra $100,000 for kids, the tax credit or whatever the case may be, once again, the government is saying that we are in poverty. A lot of folks are in poverty due to no fault of their own. Now, that's a, you have to be careful with that because a lot of people can say, well, they're lazy, they don't want to do any work. But once again, think about it from a systemic perspective and look at it from a generational wealth perspective. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Mr. It pales in comparison to what the rich are getting in tax breaks. It yeah. pales in comparison. Yeah. It really yeah. pales yeah. in it comparison. Is. You want to talk about it, welfare? It, it. Let's talk about the rich with their welfare. They they got they got welfare up the wazoo, and they get millions of dollars yeah. back, millions and millions. Trump got seventy million dollars back have. off of a tax. Yeah. Off of a tax. Yeah. Now think about he's not even a you know he's not even the biggest billionaire so-called being there. Think about what Elon Musk, think about what uh, Jeff Bezos and the rest of these guys get in tax breaks and money coming back in their pockets. And they don't they don't pay a dime into the system. Yeah, they're good at yeah. fighting over nickels and dimes. So that's what they do. Yeah. 
It's, it's a shame. It really and truly is. All right, we're over. 347-850-1272 is the caller number. You're listening to the serious side of the J-Rock Show. It's Kavina time. And let's talk about it. Apple announced a new feature to let its users scan their driver's license and save it to their iPhones. Wow. Some experts say that it could invite greater surveillance and data tracking as well as incentivize businesses to ask customers to provide who they are, uh, to prove who they are. I tell you what, technology is taking us in a direction where some people are scared and thinks that we may not, or that we may need not to go. All right, it's convenient time. In four minutes or less, something that you need to know. We'll be right back after this. Three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. Do you like me? Lose your driver's license all the time? Apple says, don't worry about your wallet. It's in your iPhone. Privacy advocates are alarmed by this feature. Here's NPR's Bobby Allen. And before he starts, know that Apple is one of NPR's financial supporters. People already pay for coffee and train rides using their iPhones, but Apple says, why stop there? To be fully free of your physical wallet, there's one more thing we need to bring to iPhone, and that's your ID. Apple executive Jennifer Bailey is speaking on a slick video, talking as she walks through the company's Cupertino headquarters. It was produced for Apple's annual developers conference. This fall, you'll just scan your driver's license or state ID in participating U.S. states. It's that easy. Your ID information is now in Wallet. So now you can store a digital copy of your driver's license on your iPhone, and it'll be seen as legitimate proof of ID. Apple says soon you'll be able to flash it to a TSA agent at an airport and move faster through a security check. The company says it's all about making life easier for everyone. Okay, but should state-issued IDs really be stored on our iPhones at all? A growing chorus of privacy experts and advocates don't think so. This just strikes me as the latest example of where they're kind of trying to weave themselves into more and more aspects of our lives. Evan Greer is the director of the advocacy group Fight for the Future. And when Apple becomes kind of indispensable, it truly is too big to fail. And it isn't just the critics of big tech raising concerns. Elizabeth Reniers is a fellow at Stanford who studies these type of ID systems. The more the kind of tweaker these credentials are, the more they're embedded into things that we're always, you know, attached to, like a mobile device, which we take everywhere, the more there's kind of this incentive to introduce identity requirements in contexts where it never existed before. Meaning every time we use the digital ID, we could be creating another way to be tracked. And Apple, she says, could eventually sell this data to advertisers. Apple, which tells its privacy-first philosophy, wouldn't comment on whether this would ever happen. But to Aram Sinreich, this is yet another reason why Congress should pass a law restricting how tech companies can use our online data. He studies online privacy at American University in Washington. If there's no regulation holding Apple accountable, then there's nothing stopping them from surveilling us and using them as an element of the broader marketing infrastructure. And though Apple has made assurances about how safe the IDs will be, Sinrite says there is still risk involved in linking a sensitive document to our phones. What happens when Apple messes up? What happens when there is a large security breach and 100 million people's information gets leaked? Apple is not worried. It says when it stores our IDs on our phones, they will be encrypted and therefore safe. Rainier says Apple does have a good history with security, but there is something it's not talking about when it comes to its digital ID. They have staked their reputation on privacy, but I think they need to be more transparent about the business model, about how they make money off of this. 
Also available in Apple's forthcoming operating system, the ability to open office, home, and hotel doors with an iPhone. Will opening your door become a moneymaker for Apple? Rainier says they can find a way. Bobby Allen, NPR News, San Francisco. The NAACP is committed to equality for all people, especially the equality of foundational black Americans. Every other child gets a chance at economic equality. Every other child gets a chance of living the best life they possibly can. Doesn't he deserve a chance to? Learn more at NAACP.org. Online radio at its best. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. There are legal methods by which migration can and should occur. But we, as one of our priorities, will discourage illegal migration. Welcome back in three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. It's forty two minutes after the hour. You're listening to the serious side of the J. Ross Show, which happens every Sunday morning right here on the TJRS Radio Network online radio at its best. As President Biden visits foreign leaders in Europe, Vice President Kamala Harris cannot escape the pressure to visit the southern border amid the historical surge of illegal immigration under her watch as the borders are. In an interview with Univision on Thursday, Harris offered a tense response after being impressed by anchor Elilia Calderon on when would she finally visit the crossing amid the worsening of migration of the migration crisis. She said, uh, I said I'm going to the border, the vice president replied, and I, and when are you going to the border, vice president, Calderon interrupted her to ask. Uh, and uh, Harris responded by saying, I'm not finished. Uh, with a very uncomfortable laugh, raising her finger at the host. We'll start the conversation right there. All right, let me start with you this time, Ms. Elias, since Vanessa went first during the last block. But before I do that, let me bring in uh, our colleague, Jackie. Jackie, good morning. How are you? Welcome into the serious side. Uh, good morning to everyone out there. To I offer you my condolences, Jay, as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right. Um, let me uh, let me go ahead and uh, start with Johnny. Let me start with you on this one. Um, is this really good for Vice President Harris? I've been thinking about this for a while. Her being Vice President will that harm or hurt her career? Because you know, one of the things that I've noticed with her is when you put her in an uncomfortable moment. She kind of gives you this uncomfortable laugh, and you can tell she gets very defensive very fast. So my question is, how does this make her look? Um, because I'll be honest with you, I feel a little uncomfortable watching her sometimes interact with people uh, because it's like if you say something she doesn't like, you can tell that she's trying her best not to come right at you. So she does this little uncomfortable have to, to kind of, you know, resettle herself, and then she'll continue 
to uh, continue the conversation. But President Biden has put her in charge of immigration, and she hasn't visited the border. And so um, my question for you is, is this a good look for her? Yeah, we can hear Hello? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, I, I just heard the little guy say unmuted. So um, <laughs> let's let's just be let's just be real, okay? In January, when the president and vice president took office, you had a major health crisis. So if they had done anything other than that, people wouldn't be getting well now, and the economies would not be coming back to grip. So the timing of it. To me is is appropriate okay you bring some mitigation the numbers and, and trends are, are, are trending down but yet your immigration is still coming uh, at, at, at waves unprecedented and the reason why it's coming at that level of unprecedented is because America is still considered the, the, the pinnacle of freedom and when when you remove that reprobate now people feel encouraged to say, okay, I'll get a fair chance. So the wave of persons are are a reflection of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, not in spite of. Now, there's no one who could have ever expected that wave of undocumented uh, persons coming or trying to come into America, although it's been pretty steady. But what we have to look at is from a security standpoint, there are people that are trying to cross the border that mean this country no well, okay? So that's, that is, that's real. Um, this is the land of opportunity, so people in immigration will always exist ever since she announced herself as a presidential candidate. Um, again, she wasn't my first choice. She wasn't many of our first choice, but she's a better choice than what we had. That uncomfortability and that desire to come back at you, well, after being years as a prosecutor, attorney general, you know, you develop that appetite for a quick response but a definitive response because in some instances what you're looking for is you're looking for phrases and statements that capture the attention of an audience. So you, you, you are pretty direct. You're pretty sharp. Because, again, she has a career as a prosecutor. I, I did not find the comments to be inappropriate. I, I would have been more, more, more bothered if she had gotten up there and waffled, um, you know, with her response. But what she's basically saying is that, you know, it's not like we're not going to help. You understand what I'm saying? It's not like when, when, that, when, when that last guy, that last criminal, and, and his regime was in office where that statement or statements such as that right there came as a threat. This was not a threat. This was like, look, don't come, okay? Do not come. And it was a sincere a, a sincere response to a should not have been asked in the manner in which it was asked. And then, again, something that bothers me is how – the progressives, the AOCs, and all of those individuals try to jump out there and and, and stampede her. Um, she is she is, you know, a a, a lineage of of, of of immigrants. So it's not like she's anti 
immigrant. Her uncomfortability is something that she's going to have to just get over. That's her personality. That's who she is. Maybe she will grow into it. And, you know, if, if you think about it, Jay, we all talked about that. You know, she's going to have to grow into this role because, you know, l- look at what she did to, 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 to President Biden. You know, I mean, she came at him. But then when the, the young lady out of Hawaii, uh, uh, Chelsea Gibbard, uh, when, when she made that comment, yeah, I mean, yeah. she just literally was like, like okay, woo, she was speechless. So she's gonna have to grow into this stage of those tough questions and get better. I think through questions and answers, she will eventually develop a a, a appetite for those questions. But again, we are in a crisis with immigration, and we have to deal with yeah. it. Her being on the point is is putting her in a high profile situation with really low rewards because you can't win that you can't win it so the truth of the matter is all she can do is do the best that she can to be honest and 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 work towards uh dealing with those numbers those influx of people coming in providing them Mm -hmm. with temporary shelter and coming up with some type of legislation that we can just get through for right now because right you know it's so politicized that nobody's really trying to get a resolution to it yeah, I, I agree with most of your comments. You talked about her. Uh, she didn't waffle. Uh, well, when she made the speech, she didn't. You're right. A lot of the progressives are coming after her, but I think a lot of people are really coming after her. Let me play an exchange between her and Lester Holt, and then we'll hear from everyone else. We'll talk on the other side. Phone numbers stenciled on, on their hand. Yeah. And so the question has come up, and you heard it here, and, and yeah. you'll, you'll hear it again, I'm sure, is why not visit? The border. Why not see what Americans are seeing in this crisis? Well, we are going to the border at some point. You know, it, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole, this whole, this whole thing about the border. We've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. We have to deal with what's happening at the border. There's no question about that. That's not a debatable point. But we have to understand that there's a reason people are arriving at our border and ask what is that reason and then identify the problem so we can fix it. Well, it wasn't really a good moment for the VP there because uh, when she responded by saying, I haven't been to Europe, I think I understood where she was going. I, basically, I guess she was saying, look, there's, there's a lot of places that I haven't been. So to say I haven't been to the border. Um, you know, it, it, it makes light of all these other situations. Let me bring in Jerome, the smartest man in the world. Good morning, Jerome. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing good, Jerome. All right. Uh, let me get your comments on this. We're talking about Vice President Harris. Um, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about all along since she was announced as vice president that, you know, you would think it's a high-profile job. But what got my attention a few weeks ago was how little I have seen uh, Harris, because when she was a senator, she sat on a number of committees, uh, you know, and a lot of people look at the vice presidency as a jump-off part or a, a job that would catapult her into the White House sitting at the at the main desk. But, uh, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I see less of her, and her comments uh, on immigration has really got progressives pissed off. And she, you know, it seems to me that she should have been prepared for those questions, and I don't know. It just didn't look good to me. What's your opinion on it? Um, okay, so she's not um, she she's not prepared. I, I don't. I hesitate in saying that because who is right? 
and she didn't she didn't really have any experience at it. And again, it's usually why vice presidents um they they usually don't have any assignment or any task, right? Unless unless they actually are really good with um you know, with taking brief briefings and then delivering speeches. You know, that's that's not natural to folks. People are trained to do this. People like Vice President people like um Biden when he was vice president had so much experience that he he's able to kind of take right. stuff like that on the fly when it comes to international things and then domestic stuff and talking about the border and all that. Those subjects are not fluid. That's not something that everybody has experience at. So instead of putting her on one task, Biden wants to treat her like um, President Obama treated him, and that's mm-hmm. probably a little too much for her. She'll get better, but... Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be big on heavily critiquing her at the moment. It's just that she's she's she just. I wouldn't say she's horrible at it. I mean, she's not Dan Quayle or anybody, you know. But uh, right, you know, you right. you didn't see what's his name, um, Dick Cheney or nothing, do any of that stuff. All he did was interviews. But they they didn't have assignments that they had to go meet with heads of state and have press conferences and stuff. They didn't do that. Well, and Trump didn't do that. Trump rambled so much he could he didn't never even answer a question that you asked him. So some people get to be ignored, and then other folks are just heavily critiqued, and she's going to get heavily critiqued. And um, unfortunately for her, she's not really she's not really good. Like she's not good on a campaign trail. She doesn't do well with crowds. There, she has a lot of deficiencies. She was not necessarily a good choice. Um, at vice president, but you're going to start to see some of that stuff, um, you know, magnified. And so since she's not good at the stuff, she's it looks like she's incompetent. She's smart and she's sharp, but that takes practice. Like you, that, again, it's not intuitive. That's training that allows you to do that. Yeah, you know, you brought up a good point. I like the fact that you, that you said that Vice President, uh, when Biden was Vice President, he was well prepared because of, of all of his years of experience on uh, in the Senate. So, and he, you know, he said one of his uh, um, uh, one of the criteria for his VP running made it someone he wanted to have the same type of relationship with his VP that he had with President Obama. But I agree with you, Jerome. I think that he's putting a lot on her. She just don't have the experience. She's going to have to learn on the job, but. You know, Vanessa, for me, it's not really looking good for her. Uh, there is an article in the Arizona Central, and it says, uh, the title of the article says, Kamala Harris is a cut out to be vice president for disastrous immigration trip just to prove it. Let me read the first paragraph to get your response. So if the White House finally noticed something that the Democratic voters knew two years ago, put simply, Kamala Harris is not an effective politician. It said she announced her presidential campaign in January 2019. It was immediately crowded as it was, and was immediately crowned as a top contender. On paper, she was made for the moment, having served as California Attorney General and U.S. Senator. It says uh, Harris could loosen the deep pockets of Silicon Valley and Hollywood. She built her profile as a nationally known progressive, and wasn't yet another old white guy. By December 2019, she had dropped out of the race. Said her, her it said Harris's run was disastrous. Uh, repeat uh, with flip-flops, uh, awkward interviews, and implying Joe Biden was a racist over a hot-button issue of busing in the 70s. Tulsi Gabbard delivered a knockout blow, revealing Harris's brutal incarceration rate at state AG. So 
give me your thoughts on Kamala Harris as the VP. Is it a good look? Do you think that maybe she shouldn't have taken the job? What's your thoughts on, on uh, Kamala Harris as VP up until this point, especially after a series of interviews where she did look a little awkward and it seemed that she wasn't prepared for a question that her aide should have told her, you know, they're going to ask you this if you haven't been to the border. I mean, that should be simple stuff. What say you, Vanessa? I think she's going to get there. I think that that she's just, it's, I mean, she's only been in the position for six months. It ain't even been six months. So right. I, I just say give her a few minutes. But you can tell when people, but you know what, let me stop. You can tell with anybody when somebody has said something that kind of bugs them. Most of the time you can tell that when somebody is irked, I'm going to put it like that. So mm-hmm. she's no different than anybody else. She's human. She just hasn't learned how to hide it. Like some of us have problems with facial expressions. She she um she just hasn't learned how to hide when somebody bugs her. But give her a few minutes. I mean, they'll start showing her back her tapes and telling her her mistakes. And you know, her husband is right there at her side. You know, he'll pull her to the side and say, "Baby, you know, you can tell on your face or your comments that that somebody bugs you." I mean, her husband is right there. So just give her a few minutes to get it together, and, and, and I'm going to, you know, she wasn't my choice, but I'm glad that they, you know, picked her. Um, she is articulate, just like uh, Jerome said. Um, she just needs to um, not show when somebody has gotten under her skin, and I just mm-hmm. think that it's going to take time. I mean, hell, I'm 58 years old, and I still haven't been able to hide it, but then I'm not VP. <laughs> So <laughs> you're the VP. I mean, you're so, the VP of this show. <laughs> oh, I just love you, but you know what? Give her a few minutes. Just you know, this time next year, she still got an attitude, and I'm gonna be looking at her like, okay, come on now, sister. But for right now, I'm gonna give her benefit of the doubt that she's gonna get it together, and that her husband's gonna tell her her good and her bad and her ugly. So, you know. But I don't like her comment either when she said, "Well, I ain't been to Europe." I was like, "What they got to do with anything?" I mean, you know. But, yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking, Jackie. I'll give you the last comment. word on this. Yeah, trying to. That was, you know, she was like, oh, you know, whatever. All right, Jackie, I'll give you the last word. Uh, well, I concur with everyone else to just, you know, give her time because, I mean, I got, I got to bring this up. I just wonder if all these questions would be coming up if it was a man as usual. Got to well, bring I, I that know, up. Jackie. Uh, well, well, Jackie, I mean, if you're the if you're the drug, if you are the borders are, uh, that's a fair question. I mean, you know, come on. I mean, that's a fair question. We, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think people are looking at her in a different light, maybe because she is a female. I don't know. I just knew it looked. I mean, I did, you me. know, I'm just playing the the good old no, devil's advocate. I mean, you play devil's gotta bring that up. But um, I'm just with the consensus of just give her time. Okay, that's fair. Give her some time to to work through it and and see what happens. Huh? Okay, all right, fair enough. All right, three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. We're gonna step out. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to the serious side of the Jay Rouse Show, which happens every Sunday morning right here on the TJRS Radio Network. We'll be right back after this. You are listening to the TJRS Radio Network. 
Live from NPR News, I'm Giles Snyder. In Austin, Texas, one person's been arrested in connection with a shooting in the city's entertainment district. Fourteen others were wounded, and police are still looking for another suspect, as Nathan Bernier reports from member station KUT. Details are sparse, but Austin police, with help from the FBI, combed through reams of video footage gathered from police surveillance cameras, officer body cams, and the cell phones of witnesses. That's what helped lead to the arrest of a suspect in connection with the shooting in Austin's busy 6th Street Entertainment District. Police Chief Joseph Chacon says they don't have a motive, but believe it was an isolated incident between two groups of people. Most of the victims were innocent bystanders, but we're still sorting out all of the victims to see what their involvement is in this case. Police say when the shooting took place, the crowd was at pre-pandemic levels and filled 6th Street. For NPR News, I'm Nathan Bernier in Austin, Texas. The mass shootings in Austin, as well as in Chicago and Savannah, Georgia, are stoking concerns about a spike in gun violence as coronavirus restrictions ease around the country. And all two people were killed, and at least 30 others were wounded this weekend. With the G7 summit in southwestern England wrapping up today, the White House says there is support for President Bush's, uh, President Biden's push to call out China for allegations of forced labor. NPR's Franco Ordonez reports there are signs that leaders are leading towards speaking out. How aggressively to confront China has been a sticking point between G7 leaders. Some of them worry about damaging crucial economic ties with the Chinese government. But Biden officials told reporters that leaders now seem ready to call out China's malign practices, including human rights violations and non-market economic practices. The officials wouldn't say whether leaders would name China in their final joint statement of the summit. That comes out Sunday. So far, the G7 leaders have agreed to donate vaccines to less developed countries and also help with big infrastructure projects to counter China's Belt and Road Initiative. Franco Ordonez, NPR News, Cornwall, England. Talks aimed at restoring the 2015 nuclear deal with Iran resumed this weekend with the U.S. delegation participating indirectly as in previous rounds. NPR's Peter Kenyon reports a European Union spokesman called the talks intense with a number of issues still remaining. The EU foreign policy chief, Enrique Mora, has said he thinks a deal could be reached among all parties, including Iran and the U.S., in this round. But others are less sure of that. Iranian state media quote the lead Iranian negotiator as downplaying any expectation that the talks would finish before Iran holds a presidential election on Friday. The direct talks include Iran, Russia, China, the UK, France and Germany, with the US delegation located elsewhere and being briefed by more. Iran began violating some parts of the agreement after former President Donald Trump pulled out of the deal. Peter Kenyon, NPR News, Istanbul. This is NPR. report on President Trump's Justice Department, revelations that it was targeting at least two Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee seizing their records from Apple in its hunt for leaks. Senior White House correspondent Mary Bruce is tracking the story. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, George. Well, this is a highly, highly unusual move and one that is raising even more questions about whether former President Trump used the Justice Department to do his own political bidding. Now, in his administration's hunt for leakers, in 2018, the Justice Department subpoenaed Apple for data on two Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee. The top Democrat then, Adam Schiff, and Eric Swalwell, both vocal critics 
of President Trump, but it actually went beyond that. They also got data on committee staffers and aides, even family members, including a minor. Now, Apple turned over what's known as metadata, so no photos, no emails, but the Justice Department also put a gag order on Apple, meaning that none of these members of Congress knew they were caught up in any of this until just now. This morning, we have reached out, but no comments so far from the Justice Department, Apple, or former President Trump, George. There are comments from Congress. Adam Schiff called this a body blow for our, to our democracy, calling for an official investigation. George, Democrats are furious, and Adam Schiff, who is now the chairman of the committee, is calling for the Justice Department's inspector general to investigate this further. He said in a statement, quote, President Trump repeatedly and flagrantly demanded that the Justice Department carry out his political will and try to use the department as a cudgel against his political opponents and members of the media. It is increasingly apparent that those demands did not fall on deaf ears. George. You learn something new about the past every day. Mary Bruce, thanks very much. Welcome back in three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. It's uh, five minutes after the top of the hour. You're listening to the serious side of the J. Rouse Show, which happens every Sunday morning right here on the TJRS Radio Network, online radio at its best. The Department of Justice internal watchdog will investigate the Trump era seizure of communication records from some Democratic lawmakers and journalists. The agency announced this past Friday. It joins an effort in Congress to unearth more details about what happened in 2017 with the Department of Justice under President Trump asked Apple to turn over communication metadata for at least two Democratic House members, their staff and family members. The investigation became public on Thursday uh, when it was reported by the New York Times. Um, You know, a different day, a different week, a different law that this administration, our previous administration, broke while it was, quote-unquote, doing the people's business. Let me start with you, Mr. Elias, on this one. I guess I guess what shocks me about all this is the fact that we're uncovering all the things that this previous administration has done. And it's like nobody, especially Republicans, care. It's like he's gone. Oh, well, it happened. I, how dangerous is this to our democracy? This guy... Nixon had to resign because of what they did during Watergate. And what this guy has done while he was president far exceeds anything that happened in Watergate, from trying to bribe a a foreign leader to get dirt on his political opponents, paying strippers. Now we're finding out that the very thing he accused the Obama administration doing to him, he did to Democratic lawmakers. And the attorney general at the time, William Barr, or Jeff Sessions, I'm no, I don't, I forget who was in charge in 2017, I think it was Sessions, but these people went right along with it. I mean, how dangerous is this to our democracy, sir? It's, it's very dangerous because we're, we're on the cusp of losing everything that we have gained over the years, man. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's deplorable. And as China crosses reprobate, uh, man, they, they are bending down to kiss the ring at every opportunity that they can. It's just unbelievable that any time there's new senators running from Portman in Ohio, and what they do, they went right to Mar-a-Lago to get his approval. Look, man, it's just like a mafia don. They got to get his approval before they do anything because they're scared of losing that support that he gave them. And I don't get it. Run on your own merit. Be a man about it. Run on your own merit. If you lose, you lose. 
why are you why are you trying to get that upper hand that bad where this man is 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 just destroying the country. You don't give a damn. It is just crazy to me. I've never seen anything like this before in my life. Yeah, I I second that. Um Vanessa, when we look at all the laws that this man has broken, I just I sit back sometimes and I say to myself, how could this possibly go down? How can we live in a country where you have lawmakers who turn a blind eye to, to the lawlessness of a sitting American president? How... I remember watching the uh, impeachment hearings on television, how they were, when people who heard that guy ask the Ukrainian president to do these things, oh, well, were you on the phone? You don't know. I mean, it was like they were trying to find every reason in the world to exonerate this man. And for the life of me, I can't understand uh, why this is so. Your comments, Vanessa, please. Jay, this is ludicrous. I mean, I guess maybe I missed something. Did they find out some evidence on something else that this, what you call him, a reprobate? <laughs> did, did, did something else well, come well, out that he actually, did, did, yeah, yeah. that we already know he did? Well, you know, now we found out that the, that, that his, the, the, his uh, Department of Justice, DOJ, seized phone records of Democratic leaders. And uh, uh, journalists, and put a gag order in place so these people didn't even know that their information was being retained. He cried about wow. President Obama spying on him, and he he did the exact same. Well, first of all, President Obama didn't do it, but he's doing the thing that he accused the former president of doing. <laughs> You know what? You know what? All of this is scary to me. Let me tell you what is scary to me is that they're ignoring this stuff like it didn't happen or it's no big deal. It's over and it's done. They are making it seem like that riot in the Capitol was them people on a tour sightseeing. There wasn't no nobody trying to hurt nobody after people were dead and they were trying to find the vice president of the United States. I mean, what's scary, though, is that if these youngsters, if these youngsters don't pay attention and see what is going on with the democracy, they're going to be in a lot of trouble when they get to be our age because everything that Trump has done in four years has taken this country back 15 years or 20 years or more. So, you know, uh, right now, Jay, I'm so busy concentrating on what's going on in Texas with him to take our money and build a wall and all of this. I mean, it, it's so much going on with these other states that are kissing his butt. These Republican states that are going to Trump for permission to do stuff. Look at what they're doing in Georgia. They're doing all of this stuff to get back at what happened with Trump. But if these people don't pay attention, when February and March come and it's time to go back to the polls and these kids are like, I ain't going, it ain't worth me going to the polls, we're going to be right back where we were before how they got Trump in office. You watch. 
The understand? Did I make that clear Man. though? Am I saying it correctly? That if they don't pay attention, they're not going to go to the polls in February. That means that the Republicans mm. are going to come back in and going to absolutely block everything that Biden does. They're already trying to do it now. So I, well, just, you know, I hate it. Mm-hmm. No, no, I agree with you. Uh, I know that you know Jerome uh, talked about this uh, before, and when you when you look at uh, 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 the Republicans, they're they're all for the governing. But they are great at being at blocking at uh, you know uh, um, the, the, the word escapes me that that I'm looking for right now, Jerome. You can help me out with it. Um, with the Republican Party, as far as they are obstructionists, they do not want to govern. Uh, they can't govern. But what they are, they are fear mongers. Think about this whole thing with Benghazi. Think about how many hearings that Republicans had on. Benghazi. Even after Clinton was no longer the Secretary of State, they even had some Benghazi hearings while Trump was in office. And they turned a blind, they're turning a blind eye to everything that this man has done during his four years. And keep in mind, when we talk about Benghazi, one of the things that they always try to talk about is that we, the place is not secured. You know, we should be ashamed of ourselves. What they're not telling people is that they were the ones that blocked the money to get more security to go to Benghazi. Do you see what's going on here? This is what they do. Yep. You know, I, I mean, so so we're going to bitch and complain. Oh, there wasn't enough security, but meanwhile, down the hall, we're not allowing money to go. Oh, we don't want these people to. Oh, you're spending too much money on government projects. But meanwhile, we're going to go back to our district and stand next to the mayor with that big check that you fought for that for your constituents not to get. Once again, chestnut check with your own. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I guess this is. I don't want to be um, cynical on this um, on this part, but the Republicans are never held to account for Jack, and people seem to be really like. People are okay with that for some reason. The Democrats get blamed for everything, and even Democrats fall out, right? It's like hearing people, you know, yell about AOC and, you know, or or say stuff like the Democrats shouldn't say defund the police because it makes white folks upset. Like, like, we're really, really sensitive to that. Like, we won't even clear up a definition. Like, defunding the police has nothing with to do with abolishing the police, but that's not what people hear because the Republicans are really good at defining what other people are saying. And I can say this for the record. I think white folks, Europeans generally, and I don't mean the people in Europe, but I think as a marketing thing that they've always been able to twist something to make it the scariest thing possible. So no matter what it is, Someone will redefine it for you and then change it and it and it and it gives it a whole different a different feel like it gives it a different um i don't know just just a, not even a different feel it just gives it a different meaning so what happens with republicans they're really really good at this i mean i I can't even emphasize how good they are. They will sit there and do something and then turn around and accuse you of it it's like Trump saying, oh, they're going to steal the election, right, as they did everything that they can 
to disrupt people from voting at the same time, right? They're trying to steal the election but accusing you of it. And then the Republicans are like, oh, of course, we got to try to steal – we got to try to take the election or stop people from voting because they are doing something, right? They just planted that in everybody's head, and folks talk about it like crazy. So when you talk about infrastructure and things like that, the Republicans want that federal money – of infrastructure, but they do not want to do um, some of those things like, you know, pay for it because they didn't pay for the trillion-dollar tax break that they, they didn't pay for it. They want, for some reason, the people um, generally, they want to take out of um, the public safety net stuff, which is costing us zero in comparison, right, because – Again, if you just charge people regular taxes, like billionaires' taxes, at a minimum tax, like if they file zero, they should minimally have to pay $200,000. If they put a flat tax on people making over a certain amount of money, saying that if your taxes come out to be zero, here's your minimal tax payment. Now, that would make them pay something, right? And that seems like it's fair. Right, because they're using tax tax loopholes and all this other things, um, but instead of doing that, they want to blame poor people for themselves being poor. It's it's crazy, but Republicans are good at this. So some of these conversations seem like they go on this little hamster wheel that they're going in circles because the arguments mm. that they're using are really really old arguments. The old arguments, but it's playing on the psyche of uh, of people more than it has to do with any kind of common sense. You know, tax and spend or whatever. Like, they use these old things that even didn't make sense back then. You know, welfare, clean stuff, and people want to work for nothing and got to pull yourself up by your boot. All that stuff is nonsense. But the Republicans have a line on it. And um, and Democrats are scared or scary, you know, when it comes to them, for, for them not necessarily defending something but being aggressive towards something else. The, the Democrats really need to go at um, whatever their commitments are, whether it is clean energy, whether it is because clean energy has um, developed more new jobs than coal energy has. So instead of saying we're going for jobs in this new energy sector, that's how they needed to sell it. They needed to do that kind of stuff, but Democrats have a deficiency. They're always on defense, and it doesn't work for them. So that's what's happening. What's the same as Delia? Your your mic is. Uh, you may want. To, yeah, sorry to hear you. Go ahead, uh, uh, Vanessa. I just want to ask Les and you, who are y'all saying was Mushek or how you say that man's name? What company is he bringing to Texas? Elon Musk, you know, he is bringing Tesla. To, uh, uh, he's going to Austin. To Dallas Texas, to Austin, right? Austin, yes. Okay, yeah. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, no problem, no problem. Uh, Johnny, let me get your comments on this. Uh, I, I will be real brief. Uh, I think everyone surmised that uh, this has been the most criminal regime under criminal Trump, uh, starting with Jeff Sessions and um, and then, of course, William Barr took it to a whole different level. But um, like I say, just the lawlessness 
and the the total disregard for the rule of law, you know, exhibited by the Department of Justice uh, is almost malfeasance in, in most of the things that they did. And, and I don't think that we've really unraveled all that you will see in regards to the illicit and criminal activities that was supported by the Justice Department um, in the era of, of, of Donald Trump. I mean, it, it, it would be a, a similar comparison would be KGB and Putin. I mean, where you just simply are lawless and you got a blanket of law enforcement uh, agencies and prosecutors and intelligence folks uh, who can't push it up beyond that because all of them fall in that scope. And now you have the ability to suppress any rules. Uh, you know, um, it, it, it is it is just treacherous. Uh, to think that you know the things that w- that have already taken place and what you're gonna uncover, you know, trying to get phone numbers and things of that nature is no surprise. Uh, you weaken the intelligence community and you can do things like this. So it it, it it it'll be more to come and just stay tuned. Really, it will be more to come, and uh, and I think we're gonna see the same results. Uh, uh, Jackie, what say you? Um, uh, I, I don't know. It just seems like we just—I <laughs> mean, it just—it it just boggles my mind. Uh, all I got to say is the Republican Party should just really be ashamed of themselves. They really should. I—I I, I don't know what to say. I mean, they—I they, they, mean, they go along with it because. I mean, he represents them. I mean, I don't know how many more times or more ways or how we can say that. It seems like we keep saying this, we keep rehashing the same thing every week. I mean, it just it just boggles my mind. I mean, democracy is in serious trouble when we got people like Trump trying to lead this country. It's in serious. It's in serious. Uh, danger. Democracy is in serious danger. Ain't nothing more yeah. that can be said. Well, you know, Mr. Elias, I'll give you the last word, but you know one of the things they teach you in business classes um, that when it comes to marketing, you know, it takes a person to hear something seven times before it resonates with them, right? That's why you see repeated advertising because you just want people to hear it all the time. We're going to continue to sound the bullhorn because I think it's important for people to understand exactly what's going on. You hear it one time and it goes in one ear and go out the other. We're going to continue to talk about how police uh, uh, beat unarmed black folks. We're going to continue to talk about the corruption of this previous administration because it needs to be heard. We're not going to be quiet, okay? So folks need to understand as long as we have breath in our bodies, every time you do something that uh, that's uh, inappropriate, we're going to call you out on it. Mr. Ellis, I'll give you the last word on this set. Well, one thing you can say about the Republican Party, man, is that they are great on messaging. They, If one says it, they all say it. One is not going wow. to sit there and say, um, you know, if, if they come out and say uh, pedophile, 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 pedophile. But the Democrats, one thing that they're not good at is messaging. They should be coming out telling people that, that the Republican Party is the one that voted against the stimulus package. That's, this is this is the same thing that happened with the, the uh, President Obama. They didn't 
they came in, they touted, and they beat on their chest, say, hey, look what we passed, look what we've done, look how look at the money we brought you back. They, they, are, they are totally against it. They don't want it. They're not going to want it. There's anything that will help this presidency out or the poor people. They don't want it. That's why I cannot understand why poor people vote for Republicans. I just, you are not going to get me to understand that. Poor white people, let's make sure that we say what we say. Yeah. Poor white people vote for Republicans. Let's just call it what it is. All right. 347-850-1272. We're going to step out, take a break, and listen to the serious side of the J. Rob Show. Thank you guys so much for being here with us this Sunday morning, and I'm reading a lot of comments. Thank you guys for your comments, and I will definitely address those during uh, Pastor Steve's State Your Case. We'll be right back after this. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon... They will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people. We've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you.
which appears to show four Glendale police officers, three in plain clothes, repeatedly punching a 17-year-old suspected shoplifter in the face. One officer kicks the teen in the head as he lies on the floor of a store inside the Glendale Galleria. It was really hard to watch. We got traumatized. We still have all of the video like stuck in our head. The teen sister didn't want her face shown in the Zoom interview, but said they are sickened by the video that's now gone viral. A man who was shopping inside the Dick's Sporting Goods where this all unfolded last Saturday evening grabbed his cell phone and recorded the incident. The officer that wasn't even there to begin with that ran up on the situation and as soon as he arrived he he just decided I'm going to kick this kid in the face. A police spokesman said officers received a call about petty theft in another part of the Galleria minutes before the confrontation. Officers responded and located a suspect uh, matching the description. Uh, eventually contacted that suspect inside of the Dick Sporting Goods. Oh, this is worse than a rough, a rough arrest. I've seen better tactics and discipline in a barroom brawl. Civil rights attorney Connie Rice watched the video and says there's no doubt the officer's behavior goes against the training they receive when it comes to apprehending a suspect. Apparently, he does not have a weapon, so he's not posing any kind of imminent threat of 
a lethal force or bodily injury to anybody around him. The teen suffered injuries to his eye and head. Family members hope the video reinforces the need for additional training and improved measures to prevent something like this from happening again. In the meantime, they're focused on the teen's recovery. Welcome back in three four seven eight five zero one two seven two. Stop me if you've heard this before. Police beat up an unarmed guy. Well, in this case, it wasn't black, but he was uh, looks like he was uh, Hispan- of uh, Hispanic descent. Um, I, let me, you know, John, since you are closely associated with the law enforcement uh, uh, industry, actually, you are in the law enforcement industry. Let me start this one off with you. It just seems like they really don't care. What's amazing to me is that after the Derek Chauvin trial, when he was convicted, going to jail for a very long time, it's like it's gotten worse. It's like they don't care. It's like, hey, we have you have cameras, so what? If you watch this video, they beat the hell out of that kid. I mean, for a shoplifting call. They threw him to the ground. One officer kicked him in the face. Another one just walked up and started beating him in the head. <laughs> And they already had him on the ground. It looks like they had already had him in handcuffs. It's like they don't care. You know, we talk about the overall environment, the environment of the, the, this environment of the United States of America. We talk about it from a political standpoint. We've seen things that we never thought we would see happening at the, at, at, in the hollow halls of Congress with Republicans just turning a blind eye to everything that a lawless president did. And you have law enforcement officers like, we don't care if you got a video camera or cell phone or not. We're going to do what we do, and we'll deal with it later. John, give me your thoughts on this latest incident involving police and an unarmed man. No, there, there really is no, no words that I have, uh, as, as you articulated it so well. You, you know, it's not that these things have not occurred in the past. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm – I'm a black man in America, so these things have occurred in in our communities for a long period of time. It's just with with the cell phones and you know this surveillance um, world. There's never too many things that you're gonna do without someone being able to record it or capture it, and that's what's coming to light. Uh, it's a sad it's, it's a sad testimony to that that agency and the professionals uh who who wear that shield with pride and, and serve the communities because these were a bunch of lawless uh, individuals and you know what what the sentiments and, and 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 that 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 you keep hearing was you know the guy said to tell me quit resisting i mean you know that that's that's been played over and over so many times, you know, in order to justify your foolishness. But the cameras are there, and, you know, the guy, you know, kicking him in the face, the rest of them, you know, punching him, okay? They beat him up, okay? That that ain't no no counter strikes, you know, that's no hammer fist in order to break your nerves. That's no police tech, you know, tactical uh, response in that instance right there, and, that was just um, appalling. I mean, there's, there's no response to it, you know, and, and 
Some of it is is culture. Uh, you know, again, you go back to 2004, 2005, and at 2006 by the, uh, you know, FBI, which, you know, indicated that you got extremists who have infiltrated, you know, law enforcement and correction, detention, and ju- ju- the judicial branches, and you see that playing out. But then also you got individuals, man, like I said, that was a cashier at Target, and now six months later they're they out there wearing the badge on patrol. I mean, you know, so it's some training. It's the culture. It's, it's, it's people. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just – it's just another example of just why we need some reforms, and we have to step up and say, you know what, we, we have wronged the communities that we serve, and we, we've got to acknowledge that and then move from there. But at the same time, you got to have strong leadership who, who just don't condone that, and laws and citizens in the communities who, who are proactive and who get out there and, and, and have respect for those who are serving, but then also hold 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 us accountable. And that's that's really where we are, and I hope that community does the same thing. Doesn't appear that they're getting off to a real good start with it, but nevertheless, uh, maybe their end will be better than the beginning. Interesting. You know, um, Jerome, I remember when – you brought up the shooting of the brother who had just left the strip club uh, because he was going to get married the next day. His name escapes me, and I do apologize for that. Uh, he was shot over 40-something times. Um, I remember when you brought that up on the show a long time ago, and I remember why you were talking about this. His name was Bell, I think it was. Um, and yeah. I was just Sean like, Bell. Sean Bell. I was like, Wow. And I'm telling you, man, and ever since then, that was, man, that was, what, three or four years ago when you brought, and I was sitting there thinking, I was sitting there listening to you talk about it, and I was like, oh, my God. And it's like, it just keeps going on and on. Now, yeah, there, there was no, they didn't use deadly force, but who knows? I mean, you see the way they beat and kicked that kid. I mean, you know, what if they had given him a concussion and he would have bled out, you know, from some type of aneurysm? These people, this is from it was a shoplifting call. It was a, they got a call of shoplifting, and it took four officers to tackle one team, and they beat the hell out of that kid for shoplifting. Yeah. And and when and when these stories happen, Jerome, I always think about, believe it or not, I go back to when you first brought up Sean King on this show because I hadn't heard about that. I was shocked. Because I think when you brought it up, if my memory serves me correctly, I'm not sure if I had just left New York, but I remember thinking, man, I had just attended something like that in New York not a few years earlier. That could have been me. Your thoughts, Jerome? Yeah. Well, again, I'm not um, – I don't know how I'm feeling today, but I can just tell you this, that we need to look at – the um, pathology of how we do business in this country. And I think when we talk about police officers, half the people defend them like, oh, they have a hard job and whatever. And then the other ones are like, trash them, right? But we, what we're not dealing with is the mentality of, um, of people when they see people who don't look like them, when they deal with people who they perceive to be poor, when they're dealing in certain communities or certain ethnic groups, we don't deal with that in this country. 
You know, we're we we have always been in denial about that. And I'm not saying that from the minority's point of view. Of course, the minorities knew what the police was doing, but everyone else and their mother defends them, even minorities who are police officers, right? Even though they catch hell for being there as well. We need to kind of acknowledge that and say, what is it in this country that we are breeding? What is it that that um, you know? What do we need to do to stop that that um, that way of thinking, so that you know, when you become a police officer, you feel like it's us against them. You know, it, it's like a military structure that you have to kind of pull out of folks. People come from the military a lot of times, and then go into police, and then you know how the military is. It says, "Look, you guys are grunts. You guys, you know, these guys are worthless." You guys are the elite, best of the best of the best kind of thing, and those guys bring that home, and they prey on people. There's a lot of things to be said and worked out here, but it's not um, some kind of um, political correctness or some readjustment that most people complain about. It is just your own human decency that we're talking about, and we need to talk about why is it that in the police departments their humanity is not intact. What is it that we're doing to desensitize people to their humanity, right? People are like, I just want to go home to my wife and kids. They use that in their own defense after they kill somebody. They want, they want us to be humane with them and look at them as human beings, but then they're not doing that when they pull somebody over or ask someone to do something. And for years we would hear people say, well, if you just comply, you'll be okay. And that's never been true either. So... You know, yes, life is hard all the way around, but at the same time, we have to do something as a society. Like that, there's something to be done. I'm not going to answer that question, but I, I tell you that there's something that needs to be worked out inside of that construct. Yeah, well, good luck in trying to figure out what that is. Yo, Vanessa, let me ask you something. I'm going to answer it. I'm just about... not going to. <laughs> okay. Well, well hopefully, no, you know stay I mean? tuned. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I'm not as a as a like um, as a st- tune in tomorrow thing. I am saying that's hard yeah. work, and people don't people can't hear them both at the same time. I am saying mm-hmm. that understanding that there's some work that that needs to be done, and everybody needs to yeah. like you know own it, and people don't like to own it. So instead of it coming off the you know oh we're always in the wrong kind of thing, I'm not trying to hear that today. All I'm saying is that own that you need to do some work. And then we'll talk about what work needs to be done. But until they can go that far, there's no sense in telling somebody like how to make a cake, and um, they don't have they don't have an oven. You're just talking, so you you need to want to do the work. Yeah, Vanessa, let me ask you something. I've always thought about this because you're out and about so much. Do you ever worry that you're going to run into a police officer and that uh, that the results may not? be favorable uh, after that encounter. Does that cross your mind as you travel across Texas and the country? No. No. Why? It crossed your mind, but I'm not scared. No, I guess I'm not. And, and, and I will honestly say to you that um, when we're moving about, Bobby is really aware much more so of our surroundings. I am aware, but when it comes to driving, 
Uh, he's very cautious because he drove for 35 years. Uh, when it comes to flying, then that's my neck of the woods. So then I'm very much so aware. Uh, the only place that we really have to pull together is when we are out camping. It's the only time we really have to pull together with our awareness. Other than that, we just haven't encountered it. We're not really scared of running into police to act funny with us. No, I guess no. And, you know, Jay, I'm like this, and we stay prayed up. You know, Bobby and I pray before we start traveling. We pray while we're there. We pray on our way back for safe travels. And I just believe that, and, and I, I just believe that God is with us because we, we have moved around so much. Bobby and I kept moving around even during COVID. We we didn't stay put. We still was moving around because we just felt like God had us. So I, I just have to stay with that. Wow. Okay, that's good to hear. What about you, uh, Jackie? Give me your thoughts on this one. Bottom line, I'm not going to live scared. I just refuse to do do that. I, I have my rights here as American in this country, whether they're recognized or not. Whether who, you know, it's just one of those things. I can't live scared. I I refuse to live scared. And congratulations on your movie, Jackie. (laughs) Right. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vanessa. I I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, But yeah, it's just one of them things. It's, I, I reiterate what I said before. It's not a training yep. issue. It's a human decency issue. Yeah, It's a human decency issue. I mean, Muhammad Ali, look, he made the decision that he wasn't going to fight two wars. Yep. That's why he dodged the draft. He was like, look, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fighting a war here in America as a black man trying to get some respect. And you want me to go off and fight this war in Vietnam? Look, I'm not going to fight two wars. I agree. I agree. Okay. That's a good, point. That's a good and, quote and about I, Muhammad Ali. That's a good quote. I'm sorry, Jackie. We're, we're, we're out of time. Still, yes, i got to give you 20 seconds, man, real quick. Look, qualified immunity is what keeps the police doing what they're doing. And until you get rid of qualified immunity, they're going to keep doing what he's doing. They're getting worse, worse. They're talking about with cameras. It don't matter. Because once they go to court, they have qualified immunity. They keep doing what they're doing. So until they get with the qualified immunity, we don't have to deal with what we have to deal with. Good stuff, man. Appreciate it. All right. It's time for our Pastor Steve State Your Case, where we read comments from the world-famous chat room and from social media. Mr. Elias, do you have anything real quick for us? No, I don't. No, I do not. All right, let me go ahead and read some. All right, Pastor Steve says, Peace and blessings, family. Brother Jay, I'm sad to hear the news of the passing of your dear friend. I pray that God's grace comforts your family during this most difficult time. To lose a prayer warrior is tough. I extend my contact information to your brother. I will be more than happy to pray with you at any time, any hour. I know I will never replace your precious sister, Christine, but I do want you to know that there are people who care. I've included my contact information used at any time. I appreciate that, Pastor. Mariana Music, Jay, oh my God, I'm so sorry to hear about your loss, the loss of your friend. God bless you and her family. I was in tears when I heard your intro. 
Love you back, Mariana. Uh, Jamika, uh, uh, Pasadena, thank you for discussing the unemployment issue in Texas. I loved your explanation on how the plight of black farmers and descendants of the Tulsa massacres are relevant in the overall conversation of white suppression. Ms. Vanessa is a good person, and she's entitled to her opinions. Hopefully she will reassess her opinion on this subject, but if not, we live in America. Her opinion is what it is. Jay, sorry to hear about your friend. Thank you, Jamaica. Uh, Devante, Palm Springs, Florida. Sorry. Sorry for your loss, bro. Don't know you personally, but I've been listening for the past four years. You seem to be a good dude, so prayers up for you and our family. Thanks, man. Uh, James from Texas City. Uh, Ms. Vanessa sounds like an undercover Republican with her stances on immigration and unemployment. Um, and the rest of them are just uh, wishing me well. And, you know, and so I just want to say thank you to everybody uh, uh, as we uh, close the show out. Now it is time for our final thoughts. And, uh, Vanessa start with you first. Give me your final thoughts. That was right on time, Dave. We just pulled into the church parking lot. Um, <laughs> you know what? Times are hard, and, and I get that. And if I sound like a Republican, okay, whatever. I don't I don't really care what y'all think I sound like. Because uh, it's my opinion. But um, I will say this. Get out. Go and get vaccinated. Uh, I will say get ready to go and vote for February uh, because if you don't like what I think or you don't like what the Republicans are doing, then you need to get out and go and vote so that you can stop it. Other than that, uh, y'all have a safe week. I love y'all. Be blessed. And i got to get out the car to go to church. Have a good one, everybody. All right, be Take care of yourself. God bless. All right, Ms. Uh, all right Jackie, uh, give me a final thought. Great show this morning. I just reiterate what I just last said. It's about human decency, having simple respect for your fellow man. If we would have that and really practice that, there is nothing that we have to worry about in the world. Simple human decency and respect. That's all I ask. Take care and have a wonderful and blessed Sunday. Thank you, Jackie, for those comments. Uh, Johnny D, man, final thoughts. Just want to, uh, again, my brother, just wish you um, prayers, condolences, and and much love. Uh, Once again, had a wonderful uh, dialogue and discussion. And the thing that we will always do is agree that the opinions matter as long as we don't be demeaning and degrading and uh, hypocritical about what we do. Uh, like I say, I'm, I'm always respect the format, the show uh, to all of those individuals who allow us an opportunity to come to their home. I appreciate that. Um, the number of mass shootings is, is disturbing. But I will say as, as we approach this week here, uh, remember six years ago uh, those fine parishioners and mm-hmm. the church of Mother Emanuel in Charleston, South Carolina who mm-hmm. lost their lives to a terrorist. Uh, let's not forget those individuals. Absolutely. 
And so, uh, well done, Johnny D. And you're right. God bless their families. Uh, what a devastating situation. And uh, I'm going to apologize. We should have talked about that. And I think we will talk about that next week. Appreciate you bringing it up. And thank you so much, man, for your kind words. Uh, Mr. Jerome, the man, final thoughts. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear the beginning of the show, but my condolences, um, Jay, um, for you and, and everybody who's, who's going through it as well and your family. Um, I don't really, you know, I still think that we as a society really kind of need to take a step back. There is no such thing as, you know, woke culture and all of that nonsense that people putting labels on um being human and watching your humanity there should be no label on that but the people who want to oppress everybody else um, want you to believe that there's something wrong about making some corrective measures so whether we're talking about Tulsa whether we're talking about other mass killings and things happen inside of this country the police killing um, innocent people or killing anybody um, we really need to address that and I think that people need to take time out to check their own privilege when it comes to these subjects like nuts like Bill Maher and those guys who come out and start talking noise about um, he recently said something about Kevin Hart and Kevin Hart shouldn't say that this place is racist and whatever that that white man feels like he has the right to tell Kevin Hart that the um, from his own perspective that it's worse than it's ever been that's that man's experience and white folks need to concede that. And if not, I mean, you don't have to, but we are not going to let it detour us. So as we go out through our day, just understand that you can't put yourself in somebody else's shoes sometimes. And so you just need to just mm. walk in your own shoes, in your own shoes, and see how that feels. But everybody have a good week. Hey, to Mariana Music, Kathleen, haven't heard from her in a while. Kathleen, Vanessa, and, um, my, and my brother. Everybody have a good week. Hey, man, that's well said, man. Thank you so much, Jerome, for your thoughts. And uh, I love the way you said, just walk. Just walk. The man, he's the first and last word. Uh, Mr. Elias, man, final thoughts. Well, but Jay, you know how I feel about you, man. Um, and my yeah. deepest, deepest, deepest condolences to you and your family. Yeah. Um, and uh, look, man, uh, get out and vote, folks. You know, we keep, we keep going through this analogy of why my vote don't count, this don't count. Well, look, if your vote did not count, guess what? They wouldn't be trying to block your right to vote. So get out and vote. And if you don't vote, you don't have a voice. And I'll say that until the very end of time. So, with that being said, Jerome, Jay has to step out. And uh, right now, man, this is my yeah. ultimate uh, favorite part of the show. Oh, that's right. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let me say this real quick uh, to everyone. I want to say thank you to all the kind words from everyone. And, and you know, and I hate, uh, you know, I've been somewhat discombobulated for the whole show, as you can tell. Uh, and I really considered not doing the show, to be honest with you. But I, 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 I think about the people who make the commitment to be here, to listen to us. And, and you know, um, uh, I asked to step into this arena. So uh, since I asked to step into this arena, I, you know, uh, I have an obligation 
and a responsibility to you folks who listen to the show. So I'm, you know, I'm sorry the show was low down uh, this morning, but you know, obviously the show must go on. And to my, uh, to my dear sister who recently passed. Uh, I will uh, I will miss you. I will uh, always love you, and uh, I know that you will continue to send me those texts. I won't get them uh, through the format of a phone, but I'm pretty sure you will find ways to get messages to me uh, to help me along life's journey. I love you, and uh, peace be with you. And God bless all of you all. And I love my radio family. You guys mean so much to me. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's about all I can say at this stage. So, Mr. Elias, it's Sunday and we're talking serious stuff. What time is it, my friend? It's time for the serious side of the J. Rao Show. You guys have a great work week. God bless you all. And until we meet again, we'll see you for Jerome, for Vanessa, for Jackie, for John, and for Mr. Elias, I'm Jay Rouse, and have a wonderful work week. And remember, for Sunday, we're talking serious stuff. It is the serious side of the Jay Rouse Show. God bless everybody. And with that being said, it is time for my favorite part of the show. Talking points about Bobby on. Mr. Jerome was free, and now, uh, <laughs> Jerome, <laughs> yes, sir. can you give us, uh, you know, you don't know if it's true, but you heard, it might be true, Black History Moment. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I should not do a Black History Moment, Jay's not here. <laughs> Our oh. Black History <laughs> Hey, 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 man, like, uh, you got, I, I, I need that this morning. <laughs> we still need to have one? Okay, <laughs> all right, so so in our unconfirmed black history, of course, these are, um, you know, black history facts that were, we had the research department go out and find some of our un- unconfirmed black history, so this one we'll do um, from 1924. Right, so this woman Gladys Grant in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, aka Gigi, is what they call her. She was heartbroken after a six-year relationship with a relationship with a ladies' man. His name was Jeff Bowen, but you know how that went down. They called him JB, and it went down in flames. Right, <laughs> so he he didn't really break up with her. He stopped coming around after a few weeks, and then showed up at a cookout with a girlfriend and a baby. Right, so <laughs> so. After months of sadness, she got back in the game. Gigi called her friends and hit the town. And as soon as they stepped out to this place called uh, Kenny's Place on Main, um, her ex <laughs> stared at her, had a heart attack, and fell on the floor. That's when Gigi's friend Melanie made history by saying, Girl, you dressed to kill. That's where that came from. That's another little known black history fact. <laughs> Yes, sir. <laughs> See? Uh, it's it's amazing where these things wow. come from. Not that too loud. <laughs> you know, just to let, let that be known, and again, I'm sorry I didn't uh, hold that one for Jay, but I'm just saying, 
You know, in case you wasn't here in the archives, our little known black history fact was dressed to kill. <laughs> That's all. all right. Now, um, all right. So our first story is, um, you know, there's warnings being issued by the National Weather Service for high temperatures of up to 118 degrees for the for um, the desert areas in south central Arizona set to begin um, from today or from yesterday actually to next Friday. It is going to start getting Ooh. hot. Yeah. 118 mm. degrees. Mm. Or if you want to pretend it's colder, it's um, 47 degrees Celsius, but same thing. <laughs> like you, you, you think the number being lower on the Celsius side could help you? It, it's not. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Wow. All right. <laughs> now, you know, um, you know, there's a... Um, in health news, you know, white patients are more likely to be screened for COVID-19 via telehealth appointments, while black and non-English speaking patients are more often tested while visiting emergency rooms, according to a new really? study. Yeah, so hmm. so get this. So the study finds that white patients are more likely to black people to be screened on, like when you call, that you can say, oh, what are your symptoms? They don't care. But if you show up someplace, they're like, Test that black person. We need to make sure they ain't sick. <laughs> wow. You that play your psyche? Wow, 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 like, wow. Uh, yeah, just for showing up, people think that you might have COVID. Mm-hmm. As a doctor. Mm-hmm. thing. All right, so ER visits for um, suicide attempts amongst um, U.S. teen girls has increased 51% in the winter of 2021 compared to 2019. Mm. Well, they said it will, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's what the CDC report says. Yeah. The teen girls are likely driven by the increase in average number of ER visits for suicide with attempts with a 26.2% rise in 2020 and um, 50.6% spike is what they're predicting in two, winter 2021. Mm. Wow. Okay, so just like everything else, I think that um, what we're missing with, and I know there's reports that says that violence, they expect violence, um, gun shootings, and all that stuff to go up around the country, across the country. Um, I want to remind you, it's not just because everybody is just vulgar and crazy. It's because the pandemic um, had people cooped up for two years almost, and um mm-hmm coming out and their privilege is being checked right and some people don't know how to act so now that they're interacting more there's more parties there's more conflict there's more stuff going on so don't take this spike as meaning anything in particular people are not socialized as Hmm. wow i don't doubt it man because yeah you're right people have been cooped up for that many years i mean that long yeah People are gonna go. They're gonna go do what they're gonna do. Oh, wrong drop.
folks, I'm sorry to say that Jerome Esprit's phone dropped out, and there's no way of calling him back. Uh, so, you know, I hate to hate to end the show like this because uh, Jerome, that's a vital part of our uh, our show, and I, I, I dig listening to the news that Jerome Esprit puts it. So, you know, I guess folks, that'll be the end of the show. And uh, all peace and blessings to you. So we'll see you next week, sir. Thank you.